0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the
0: workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas
1: Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who
0: has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Well, after five weeks and 10 episodes, the Last Dance documentary produced by ESPN is officially over. The one that not only covered Michael Jordan, but also those tremendous Bulls teams in the 90s. We're breaking it down, what we thought of the last two episodes, as well as maybe some things that we liked, didn't like in the episodes. And then we're going to also give you some teams that we would like to see have documentaries made in Last Dance style. But before we do all that, I have to welcome in my co-host and all this. He is operating at a Strong Strategies today. His name is Otto Strong. Otto, how's it
1: going? What's going on, man? How you been?
0: Oh, well, you know, I've been in about Zoom calls all day long. So getting to see you and talk to you in, you know, for basketball is tremendous for me. But just kind of digesting the last two episodes of The Last Dance was a lot of fun. Uh, anything going on in your world?
1: Oh, it's just just a lot of work on uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram stories. Uh, do you feel uh, like in yeah. a work-from-home
0: environment, like you spend more time working than you did before? Because that's kind of how I feel. You know, like going into the office didn't feel like work. When I have to sit down at home and do work, that feels like work
1: it, it it's, it's definitely more of a challenge no, no doubt uh and you know like we've we've discussed on on previous shows a lot of what we were doing while you know in the time when there were no sports was working on education stories and public interest stories and so now the pendulum is kind of swinging back in, into sports a little bit we've had some we've had some nascar we've had some Got some horse racing coming up. We've got a golf tournament going on in a couple of weeks. Maybe Obviously, getting some
0: basketball back, right? Maybe
1: getting some basketball. Maybe, maybe. Rumors of baseball, NFL draft, all kinds of stuff happening. So things are starting to to uh, creep back into uh, the reality of of uh, lots of sports and <laughs> a it's, reminder it. as to why why we why we uh, you know love all this stuff.
0: Absolutely, and it's crazy how it all just you know. Kind of worked with that five week window with ESPN deciding to move up the date of these uh, documentaries, with kind of just the calendar starting to flip back and maybe we're starting to get some sense of normalcy. But we did get the final two episodes, um, episodes nine and ten, not only covering that tremendous series also with the Pacers, but you know two finals opposite of the Utah Jazz. There were some things that I I thought were a little quirky with it. But before we get into what I thought about it, what did you think of episodes nine and ten?
1: Well, um, episodes nine to ten, relative to the other episodes, you know, there was very little, obviously, by that point that was being new, very little bit that was introduced. I did like the way they touched upon uh, Steve Curran dealt with his particular story. Um, and I thought that was effective, you know, with his dad and that that tragic um, situation where, for those who might have missed it, been under a rock, uh, his, uh, Steve Curran's dad um, was killed uh, while he was working in Beirut uh, at, at an American university there uh so, but i did like the way that they they you know uh dovetailed that 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 story with uh with his big shot in the finals but um you know i think the earlier episodes definitely for me just spoke just spoke more to me i loved the pippin episode the rodman episode uh the one about the marketing of uh, of mj so you know, those kind of were 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 my high you know high water marks this was kind of like kind of coming back down to reality i don't know how would you see it
0: so I, I have a few things that i felt were critiqued about. Number one, how are we just now finding out that it was food poisoning in the flu game? You know, that, that it wasn't the flu. He had food poisoning in that. How does that story never get out? Also, if you're already suspicious about the pizza going into it, why still give him the pizza and then why continue to eat the entire pizza?
1: All right. So, so I'll, I'll handle all three. First off, it was always known as the flu game, even though, Food poisoning was something that had been discussed at various points, um, obviously not perhaps to to the detail level of detail. Um, the pizza. Why on earth? It, yeah, yes. Uh, Michael Jordan would like to have a pizza delivered to his room. Exactly. I mean,
0: why it, is just some it, why is some random personnel guy who's just operating under yes. a normal name yes. order, not ordering that pizza? Like I Michael see. Jordan's not ordering a pizza himself at that time of night,
1: right? One would think. I mean, never been to Salt Lake, <laughs> so I'm not gonna try to spouse on salt lake pizza but you know. <laughs> uh you know and then yeah it's one of those yeah wish it wish it you know would have should have could have taken the uh taken the pizza away from him or you know just travel with a jar pb and j or something <laughs>
0: yeah like there has to be a team nutritionist there that just has something that they could give him but you know the fact that he even ate the entire pizza like you got to share a slice of that with you know your trainer some guys that might just be around whatever so that was the number one thing that kind of surprised me about episode nine was that Just that whole revelation that it was food poisoning and not necessarily a flu game. And number two, last week, we mentioned some aspects of the episodes that were missing, right? Like his family members, his wife, his kids. We did get a glimpse of them in episode nine, specifically kind of just talking about the environment that was uh, Utah in that series. That almost felt forced you know it it didn't feel organic like the rest of the like the series had felt almost like it was like oh no we have these interviews with them how do we fit them in and how do we make them relevant to this timeline and you know it kept going back to the idea that in the back of my mind is Michael is a very private person and maybe he just didn't want his kids being subjected to this story but at the same time they're a necessity they're an important part of this story
1: yeah, there there are certain things about uh, the 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 family story that uh, well, let's just say they're available online for for those who want to uh, want to take all that stuff in. It, you know, it, you know, they were trying to tell the story of Michael Jordan and the Bulls and the dynasty. Um, Jordan, the family man. To what degree that I don't know fit into the overall narrative. I mean, I, I was expecting, definitely expecting to see more family than we saw. And definitely not expecting to see it in the way that it was presented. But having said that, I kind of understood after seeing everything and and knowing, you know, seeing what I've seen after the fact, I can of understand why they went the way they did.
0: Yeah, and I completely get your point. It just seems that like if you're going to put them in, especially in that spot and that late in the documentary that it would have been more than essentially one scene with the two of them. Like they would have come back up either at the end of episode 10, as we're kind of getting to know Michael post that dynasty, or just some relevance of maybe him going to one of their games, whether, you know, they were in college or whatnot. So that just seemed like a very forced scene. And it was the first time really in this whole series that, I felt like it wasn't a cohesive documentary and there's been a lot of people that have either gone on Twitter that have gone on Facebook and said by and far, this is the best documentary I have ever seen that um, the way that it's put together, the way that the narrative is told is just tremendous. And I, I don't know if maybe I'm the only one who felt like this, but I just didn't get that throughout. Yeah. It was emotional and it was fun to relive some of those big moments of the nineties and, you know, uh, for someone that w- when this dynasty was happening and taking place, I was not necessarily into the NBA. You know, I was a kid from Kansas that grew up in Kansas City that followed college basketball very heavily because we didn't have an NBA team, but everyone knew who Michael Jordan and the Bulls was. So to relive this and to experience this, you know, in a lot of these images for the first time, like a lot of people, that was fun. But from a narrative perspective and from a documentary perspective, I I just didn't understand the full hype that centered around this and and the love for it. Did you? uh,
1: I definitely got the, got the hype. I definitely thought and saw why people would, would love it and go crazy for it. Uh, And, and maybe I'm partially misunderstanding, you know, the premise here, but as a, a guy who grew up in New York and was kind of the, the, we were, we were the, we were the folks, the Knicks fans who, who, always seemed to take it on the chin there was one that that one <laughs> trivia question and the i'm sitting there with my wife i'm and you know on, on which you know which which hall of famer was ousted most and i i didn't even look up i just patrick Ewing, and sure enough patrick she's like she turns to me she goes how did you, I, I honey i live this like <laughs> every every may it was like one of those things you dread you know it's kind of like the first huge snowfall in January. Well, come May, it's like oh, how how are we going to bite it this year? <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: and, and and I was, M- MJ, going to hurt you this time. But no, exactly. so 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 like that perspective of it, of it is fun. It's just reliving his dominance was great, and being this larger than life character that he really was, and just being this ultimate alpha male was tremendous and a lot of fun to watch. But from just like a few, pure storytelling narrative and a pure documentary perspective. I don't know if it was maybe just the idea that everybody has been locked up and it was the only thing that we could gravitate to at that time. But I thought the way that it was put together had a lot of flaws in it, had a lot of holes in it. And so that's just my take. And it might not be a common one. It might not be something that everybody loves, but it was just something from my perspective. You know, the kind of going back and forth on the timelines in episodes was sometimes very, very jumbled and felt, uh... Very confusing, I thought. Sometimes
1: I thought I thought the timeline was was clean to, to me, and you know, it would it, it gave you that kind of natural break, and you know, with the visuals and the and the kind of little ticker moving back and forth. Hey, what did now? What do you think about? Because this, I have a definite thought on this. I want to get your take on it before I mouth off. But um, <laughs> the 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 end, the the Pearl Jam finale. What what are your thoughts on? On that, does first off, I mean, you're you're a man of a certain age, so I don't know if Pearl Jam necessarily means the same thing to you. To you so as it so, does so, to so,
0: so so here's here's the thing, you know, you and our producer both said the the Pearl Jam rollout. And I don't I don't know a Pearl Jam song.
1: Okay, yeah. All right. everybody, everybody, this is the thing, and, and, right and, and I'm We're... fine
0: with admitting this right now. You know, I I saw the the montage at the end, but I don't know Pearl Jam. I don't know. Oh don't know. my god! And but, I'm not right. ashamed to admit that.
1: All right, so, right, right. so,
0: so for you to know, my musical library is just a bunch of like indie, uh, indie rock bands that nobody's ever heard of and that nobody will ever care about, but they're special to me. So, I think
1: in my head, I'm literally on one one knee right now. But, 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 you but be, so you should be. It's very, it's
0: very <laughs> embarrassing for me, myself, and I. But it's
1: <laughs> anyway. Um Another song you kind of triggered my in my head. All right, so I'll, I'll say this, I love program. Now I haven't not fo- I don't follow them around the country like some of, you know, friends and people I've known through the years. Our producer Scott Turkin, I know, is a big fan, loves them. I'm a big fan, love them. I think Scott probably loves them more than me. But here's the thing. I didn't like the ending. I didn't feel like the music went with I didn't feel like it went with with the pictures. Uh for for me personally, I thought it's Felt like a little little out of character for, um, for the era. I realized that the the music was out at that time, and so the, so date wise that kind of matches up. But when I think of Chicago, it, Bowl, it, it, it felt like it being... should have been
0: more hip hop, didn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, J- just just with been... the way the, the the other musical elements of um, y- y- you know, the, the stories were told with, and uh, personally, the opening scroll for every episode just. Pulled on my heartstrings every single time. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but it did, mm-hmm. and, and so I, I get that. You know, uh, people don't like to admit it, but music is a big part of every storytelling aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which, what you know, it, it definitely kind of centers you. It's it's, it's funny sometimes if you uh, if you watch a scary movie and you put on some like classical music, it's like all of a sudden it's like not really scary. <laughs> You're
0: like, what's going on with this?
1: What did yeah. you think?
0: Um, what what do you think this series did for the conversation? m j. opposite of leBron D- did it reaffirm your belief and you know maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, but did it cement to you that M j was the superior player between the two? or are um, they just completely different conversations
1: i i i mean def- definitely the, the alpha male i mean this there is no question i th- I think if anything, it probably you can draw an even sharper distinction between you know between the two guys. Um, you know, it, it would be hard for me to visualize, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen, but it'd be hard for me to visualize the the competition, you know, 24 seven competition on the golf course, you know, throwing dice the way that that MJ, you know, w- was was doing that. I'm not to say that LeBron is not competitive. I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> uh, no, but-, but
0: but but what you're what you're alluding to is that the competitive spirit of MJ lived in everything. It wasn't just basketball and uh, MJ's ultimate appeal to essentially be just a guy, right? Like despite being a larger than life figure, his ultimate goal was whatever sport it was, whoever was playing it, whoever he was on the field, the golf course, the room with, he just wanted to be the best at that. So And that's, that's where I I think it's fair to draw a distinct line between the two. You know, LeBron is a great basketball player in so many different ways. You know, um, the way he moves, the way he passes, the way he sees the game develop uh, probably quicker than a lot of um, his peers have, you know, and just his physical dominance is so much different than the way MJ moved but the drive and the goal to be better than every single person at every single game is very different than i think how lebron wants to and chooses to live his life.
1: Yeah, well i mean the other big distinction here it would be if would be the the notion that guys wanted to play with you know whether they did or did not want to play with um jordan versus do they or do not they you know want to play with lebron and and the the, the takeaway that I would have is, I mean, yes, everyone wants to play with door. Cause want to want to get a ring, but it, it's, it seemed like it was always a pained decision that people had to make to decide whether they want to endure that. You don't really hear people talking about enduring that with playing Le- with LeBron. I mean, there's certainly, you know, expectations got to, you know, live up to, you know, making sure you're, you're, you're playing your a game when you're, when you're with him. But it, I don't know if you picked up on, on that or have, you know,
0: no, absolutely. And that's part of what I was asking, you know, when we had BJ on the show last week. There is an idea that whenever you play with a player like this, whether it's Michael Jordan, whether it's LeBron James, that when you're a teammate of someone like that, you are essentially helping to protect their legacy. You know, when LeBron was making all those finals runs, whether it was with the Heat, Cavs, and hopefully at some point with the Lakers, you know, the people that he assembles around him understand that the goal is much bigger than you know to make it to the finals but and to win a championship. The goal is to also help protect the legacy that is LeBron James because he is the face of the NBA right now. And it was clear that a lot of Bulls players felt burdened with that idea. And so that's a very tough thing for them to swallow and for them to, I guess, grapple with. Agree
1: on, on all that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but, but I will say this, and this is just to close the Jordan and LeBron argument. The people who, and you'll see this whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on ESPN, they'll, they'll put a graphic out there that has their scoring numbers side by side, right? Whether it's in the finals, regular season, mm-hmm. postseason. People need to understand that those are not fair comparisons. And the reason they're not fair comparisons is because of how drastically different the games are. And, you know, you saw it in those final two episodes, 9 and 10, where the scores are 87 to 85. And every possession seems like it matters each and every time. But also, the sheer number of possessions that occur in each NBA game today. You know, you Mm -hmm. didn't have that in the 90s. Like, what is it? Most teams average, like, what is it? 120 possessions per game or something like that in today's NBA. There was no way that was happening in the 90s. No, no,
1: no. No. All all, all good points. All good points. We've just witnessed last dance. Bulls put them to bed. Now, is there another franchise, another story out there that you would want to see or hear or relive? Or live for the first time, <laughs> depending, <laughs> on, depending on which one you're going to go with.
0: So if we're keeping this to basketball specific and NBA specific, the one that really um, kind of piques my interest and in is the story of the Seattle Supersonics and how that city was basically had a team stolen from them and their team was whisked away um, kind of and had the rug pulled out from under them. Just to relive those images in Key Arena. And there's there's been tremendous podcasts and docu-storytellings done through them, but there's never been a true in-depth series on all the steps that it took to get that team out of that city. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, Personally, for me, this is something everyone rolls their eyes when they hear it, is the Kansas Jayhawks won 15 straight Big 12 championships, Otto. Think about that. 15 years in college basketball with the one and done rule, with how often players move schools, and to win a Power Five conference championship for 15 straight years. When that documentary series is done about how those teams had to be constructed, how you have to account for players leaving for the league, how you have to account for players that are coming in, that's going to be incredibly interesting. And the only other one I'll say this is how the one and done rule not only affected the NCAA, but also the NBA when it was put in place. Let's mm. say you.
1: All right, so I would love to kind of get the real uh story on on Chris Paul and the Lakers and what, you know, what what would have happened had he gone to LA. This it would have been back in mm,
0: 2011. before the trade would, was vetoed.
1: Exactly, back so back in 2011. <clears throat> and you look at see like who the Lakers would have gotten, who the Hornets would you know the New Orleans Hornets then would have gotten I mean, I mean, obviously the trajectory of, of the entire NBA would have been completely different. Um, so looking at, at, at those guys, that would be, that'd be something that would have been a lot of fun. Um, you know, another one that, that, you know, for me personally would have been special is kind of looking at, and I know these guys never made it to the mountaintop, so it's like, who cares? But some of, some of those Knicks squads were, I mean, th- I don't know if they were really a 10 part, I guess if you don't win a title, you're not really a 10 part. Maybe you're a, three-part but whatever but some of those Knicks teams were um, just the the personalities that they that they had and the just the the kind of defensive oriented style that they play that they had it's just you know something that you could really a lot of the lunch lunch pail guys in New York really loved what about Kobe's Lakers
0: and that dynamic with Phil Jackson and kind of his second run with the dynasty
1: all right, so you're not talking about the the Shaq Kobe, but you're talking about the the, the second, you know, the 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 yeah. The two well, people, well, you, people.
0: you can talk about the Shaq uh, Kobe Shaq ones, but also just from Phil Jackson's perspective, you know, kind of stewarding two different dynasties. Mm-hmm. Not, not very many people get that opportunity, and then I, I guess you can also, on the flip side, say it from a player who is part of a dynasty, and Steve Kerr, and then to trying to massage and manage his own dynasty. With mm-hmm. those Warriors teams,
1: yeah, absolutely, and then there's certainly no shortage of, of content there from, you know, Draymond's uh, uh, colorful ways to who, get, <laughs> to who gets
0: who gets to be the villain in that series. It's definitely Kevin Durant, right? If, oh. if you're doing one on like, so the whole idea was that Jerry Krause was the ultimate villain in this Bulls dynasty, right? He was the reason they broke up; that it never worked out. Kevin Durant has to be the villain and why this Warriors team is no longer constructed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I suspect suspect he is. I mean, it's just like, uh, I mean, things, things do not last forever. I don't, I don't know what, what do people think he was going to just stay there for, you know, retire as a, as a warrior. I guess I never really, I, I never really bought into the fact that he was kind of a tried and true member of the Warriors, like Curry, like, like, you know, like Thompson, like, um, like Draymond, so it, it, his leaving didn't really, didn't really bother me. I mean, like it,
0: it, it's not so you know. much the leaving; it's the aspect of how he responded that final year in Golden State. You know, there's there's books and there's articles written about just how sour of a teammate he was. Not yeah. only you know, kind of envious of the relationship that Steph had with Warriors fans, but also mm-hmm. the way that he kind of uh was combative with draymond that final year and so and you know you can go for days and just kind of the rabbit hole of social dms that he was sending potentially from burner accounts too so that that's just who i think would be the villain in that series Mm.
1: well now now there's another team that we have not talked about another player we haven't talked about which is kind of odd since he's taken two teams to titles uh and and kind of on the verge of perhaps the third and that would be LeBron.
0: Yeah, those uh that that whole story of LeBron's rise with the Cavs and then the decision and his move to Miami, just the way that team came together and the moving parts and how they had to essentially plan that out between the three of them, that that would be a phenomenal story to hear and just all the different moving parts and you know, also kind of the rise of Eric Spolstra as a head coach, right?
1: Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm.
0: Someone that uh when he essentially took the reins of that team, people probably didn't envision him becoming the coach that he is today. Is that fair to say? And then with Pat Riley at the helm of that organization,
1: well, you know, he, he worked under 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 Riley, and so you know, Riley's going to you know reward his guys. So I'm not I'm not I'm not surprised. I mean, he he definitely put in the hours. I mean, I remember stories about him, you know, being in the film room basically. Seemingly, damn near living there. <laughs> so I think he was getting his mail there
0: in the it's, film. Is 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 the is the opening scroll of the heatles docu series? Not one, not two, not three,
1: not oh, four. It, it, it has to be. <laughs> it, it, it has and then it ends be. up
0: being two. It ends up being. Well,
1: oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, kind of a, a fluke, a fluke series with the with the with the maps to some degree, and and you know, and look, I mean, they could they could have easily wound up with one. You know, they, that that that. The series sure. in which they beat the Spurs was, you know, that's, I, I, I didn't have to go that way. So,
0: yeah. And, you know, that just, that, so that also solidifies just how good those Bulls teams were. You know, those Bulls teams were, were built with an idea in mind of where that team was going. And l- let's close the show on this, uh, because I, I thought there was a very good point that um, one of our producers, Bruce Bernstein pointed out was the love that they essentially gave to Jerry Krause at the very end of episode 10 um, where, you know, they're talking about, you do have to give him love for the, the roster construction. And it was the first time that they had said anything positive <laughs> about Jerry Krause. And it just felt so fleeting at the end.
1: Was it, was it there? Was it Scotty? Cause I, I remember Scotty, well, Scotty a, said it.
0: Scotty yeah. was the one who said it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure, so sure how other, how effusive others were, but. <laughs> yeah, it, but.
0: it definitely wasn't MJ who said it. It
1: was Scotty. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know,
0: it, it just felt like such a nice change of pace from building this villain for nine episodes and then giving him some due at the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, any any story you know, you need an arc to any story, and so you know, this 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 was his, and you know, it's nice to see that you know, Pippa could recognize the fact that, uh, yeah, like you know, hey, the guy did put a good team together.
0: Yeah, like like finding supportive players and drafting players is not an easy thing to do. How many GMs lose their job today because they see someone who is a top five talent and they don't pan out?
1: Hey, uh exactly so real quick I know we're gonna wrap up but would they have done a four peat now if they'd come back no and yeah, I'm, you,
0: I'm, you look at it especially if you're looking at it in terms of um roster construction there's no way they could have fit it under the cap yeah um, I'm, I'm, and and Jordan's comments at the end that that Pippin would have come back on a one-year deal okay Pippin comes back on a one-year deal what's that number? And then how do you fill out a roster around him? A healthy yeah. roster around him. That's also young because a team that picks at the end of the draft every year is not a young team and it's yeah. not a good team.
1: Yeah. I mean the the one thing that would have been interesting and there's no way that, you know, who knows how it would have worked out, but the fact that there was a lockout and the season was shortened to 50 games, you know, it, but still there's yeah. It's one of those, you know, fans can debate it, people like us can could chew on it for for months and years and decades but but we don't have all that time we have to wrap and so with that this has been catch and shoot 2.0 thanks to our producers scott sterkin and bruce bernstein as well as our editor ben wolfen
0: and as always, we like to promote our own here on Pure Hoops Media. Mondays, it is the Mike Weiss Show. This week, Mike was joined by Sam Smith. If you've been watching the documentary, you know who Sam Smith is, longtime Chicago-based writer. Tuesday is Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Wednesday, it is Catch and Shoot right here with our boy Otto and myself. Thursdays. This show is going to be a lot of fun. Monica, Monica McNutt on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is having Andrea Kramer on. She was the ESPN Chicago correspondent during the 90s. That should be a really fun listen. And it all wraps up on Friday with a Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. Hey guys, if you like the shows, if you enjoy them, all that we ask is that you rate and subscribe. And if you have a friend, share it with them as well. But until next week, we'll see you guys next week.
1: Hey, and one final word here, folks. Yes, you, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, as we continue to practice our safe social distancing and washing our hands and all that good stuff, we want to remind everybody that the first responders, uh, those folks who are bringing us our meals, who are attending to our health care needs, who are putting out fires, literally and figuratively, uh, police officers? We want to make sure that everyone is maintaining uh, the proper level of decorum and respect for all parties involved. Uh, we know that this is a difficult time uh, as we transition back into the regular flow of things around the country, but we just again want to make sure that everyone is um, just showing that extra level of decorum that we know you guys are more than capable of doing. So, thanks, everybody. We're all in this together. Be strong. Captain Shoots 2.0 is a presentation of pure hoops. Music media.